everyone. Welcome to The Authentic Woman. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. The show airs every Sunday night at 8. And during each show, I really like to explore a different aspect of the female experience in America. And usually it's by gaining the perspective of a woman who is making a contribution, whether it's to society or public policy or psychology or the arts or pop culture. Um, And tonight, my guest fits into every one of those categories, so you are in for a treat tonight. She has been known for decades and decades for the work that she's done. Um, Every week, her work reaches more than 5 million people. In fact, she is so well-known that most people simply know her as Dr. Gilda. They don't even know her last name. And so for the few of you who don't know her, uh, let me give you a little background Dr. Gilda Carl, she's an internationally renowned relationship expert, and she's worked, well, it's pretty safe to say she's worked everywhere. The New York Times has referred to her as the busiest television therapist in the business, and she's also been called, and I love this, TV's number one talk show therapist, hotter than the Sahara, part philosopher and part stand-up comic, and that, that fits her very, very well. And in addition to the public role she plays, she's got a private practice in New York. Uh, She's a relationship wellness expert at Columbia University Medical Center. Gilda holds a Ph.D. from New York University. She was an associate professor at Mercy College. She's written 15 books, and she's also a very seasoned motivational speaker. So tonight we're going to talk to Gilda about her career and what motivates her and what motivates others. And there's a new venture uh, that's facilitating a lot of much-needed healing to some wounded hearts. And uh, she and I are both really excited to talk about that. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Dr. Gilda Carl to the program. Gilda, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Shannon. I am so delighted to finally get to talk to you in person because we have been communicating for, what, almost two years Online, yes. on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. I don't know. I've lost track. No, I feel like I know you well. And, and, and then realizing this is the first time we've actually spoken voice to voice, I'm, I'm excited about it. So you have, you have appeared on countless talk shows and in more newspapers and magazines than I can count. Um, but before we get into all of the details of your work, I want to talk just a little bit about your brand. Um, one of your main tenets is kind of calling people out to take responsibility for themselves and their actions. And I just want to know what inspired you to take that straightforward, no-holds-bar approach? That's a good question. Why, why that approach? Every time I appeared in, in the earlier days that I started doing all this media work, In the earlier days, people were always saying to me how different and refreshing what I had to say was as opposed to the usual pap that they were hearing from advice columnists, from uh, therapists, from people out there. And Mm -hmm. they said it's about time somebody tells people, tape up or ship out and, and get their act together. And apparently, we've been uh, a culture of coddlers, and everybody's been coddled. And as a result of that, I'm the one who continues to get uh, requests for advice from all over the United States and all over Europe and all over the world, actually, thanks to the Internet that has allowed me to talk to people with 
all kinds of relationship issues. And what I have found has been everybody's asking and concerned about the same thing. Everything in life revolves around love. Mm -hmm. How to get it, how to give it, how to sustain it. And all we know is we want it, but very often we are stepping in our own paths and preventing ourselves from getting what we want and need. We are. That's so true. That's so true. And and I think your your style of delivery is kind of a mixture of, of laugh at life and let me have it, which is, it's perfect. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people, just like you said, stand in, in their own way when it comes to love, uh, love in, in every different form. And we'll talk about a lot of the different forms as we go through the show. Now, you had a background working in inner city schools. Oh, yeah. Um, you Teaching in the in the South Bronx for many years, um, and I think that's where I probably learned to get to become very street smart. Um, that's where I saw what was happening to kids that society had given up on, and how I never followed the rules. I was always, thankfully, I had uh, educational leaders who were overseeing me who allowed me to go and run with everything I did so that I kicked the, the textbooks out of the classrooms and I had them read newspapers. And many of the kids couldn't even read. And so I brought in music that they were familiar with. And then I showed them the lyrics. And from that, I was able to teach them how to read. I mean, all these things that ordinarily people would have told me you can't do, and people did tell me you can't do, I said, well, watch me. And I right. was extremely creative and uh, extremely in trouble all the time because <laughs> people, you know, I just didn't fit the mold. Right. Sure. Well, and I think that that's, uh, that's why you stand out. I mean, you really... You grew to be a household name, uh, I, I think, mostly through your work on daytime talk shows. I mean, you were yeah. on everything. You've I, done the I really was on everything. I was with Sally Jesse Raphael for three or four years every single day on television, but I was also on The Montel Show and, and Ricky Lake and um, uh, everybody, everybody, including Oprah, who showed... Uh, a documentary that I had done uh, called Telling Nicholas that won an Emmy on HBO uh, where I led the seven-year-old child uh, to tell, well, I led the family to tell a seven-year-old child that his mother had died uh, in the World Trade bombing. Oh, wow. I can't even watch that. Yeah, I can't even watch that documentary anymore. But, um, and because of my celebrity, this family on Staten Island did allow us to get into that home because they saw cameras coming and they said, there is no way. And then they saw me and they said, how did this uh, director find you? I said, "I, I don't know really, but he did. And I am part of this project and we're here to help you. And that's the only sure. reason 
that they let us in. So my celebrity has worked really, really well for me. And each time I wrote another book, I, you know, it, it, it got rave reviews. And I've written 15 books. And then I was writing uh, a column for two years for the Today Show called mm-hmm. 30 Second Therapist. And that's And I want to ask you about that because that is, I, I mean, it, it's definitely you're getting short questions and you're giving short answers. And I'm wondering when you when you would get questions in writing and you would respond with a, a short answer, how did you get a feel for the emotions um, of the person that were writing from just the few sentences they sent? You know, Shannon, what I learned, I, you don't know these things. You know, you can get a Ph.D. and still not understand yourself. Mm-hmm. But I learned so much from being on television. They called me the soundbite queen. Because I'm able to, I was, I learned how to deliver bing, 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 the way people listen to media these days. And I was able to deliver my advice quick and to the point. And whatever I did, probably thanks to the South Bronx in, in large part, I was able to feel people's emotions and go right to their emotions. How I do this, I cannot tell you, but it was really a gift that I started to recognize as just that, a gift. And I said, God, I, man, I, I, I've got to do something with this because apparently this is serving so many people. And not everybody yep. likes my advice. Not everybody wants to be called on their behavior. Not everybody wants to be called on the carpet for uh, hitting their wife or for bad-mouthing their mother-in-law. I mean, not everybody wants to hear the message of love, but I do believe everybody has to listen to it. Then do with it as you wish, but you must listen to an alternative way of being because there is just so much pain out there. There is so much hurt. And people are looking for an alternative. They really, really are. And having an intuition like that is so valuable. I mean, especially in the in the profession that you're in and the the soundbite queen that you were talking about. There is in your columns and on your website. Uh, there's a, a special way that you deliver little little snippets and quips um, called a gildogram. So yeah. tell me about. <laughs> yeah. Now I didn't even give that name to myself. I mean. It was when I was doing, uh, in the interim of all, in the middle of all this, um, Mm -hmm. I was also in corporate America delivering motivational speeches and corporate training seminars as a management consultant. And one of my uh, people who who had hired me for various uh, workshops at Citibank, of all places, she said, we just look forward to your coming in and giving us our advice that we need so badly to raise our bottom line. And we call them Gildagrams. And this was many years ago. And I said, wow, that's fun. Thank you. Now, this woman has since retired, and we still talk about that. We, We are in touch, and we still talk about that and laugh about it. So oh, that's- this wasn't even me who came, who came up with that name. 
sometimes we're just given these little gifts along the way. That is fantastic. Yeah, well, and and I am so grateful for every little gift that I am given because with each little gift, I grow that much more and I'm that much more capable of helping other people. Sure, sure. Now you uh you were the you had the Ask Dr. Gilda column on match.com which yeah, was very Yeah. I did very that fun. for about 8 years. Ask Dr. Gilda on Match and I also wrote columns for them in addition to that Ask Dr. Gilda column. So that was I mean I would and a lot of those columns hit yahoo.com and man I, the, the a, a couple of times uh my server broke. Uh, because people said, oh, my God, I, I need to hear more and more and more of this. And, right. of course, that led me to recognize that I was not serving enough people. And so what I did was figured out a way to earn a living and to be doing this around the world. And now if somebody goes to drgilda.com, they can register my, for my advice and they don't have to go for years of therapy. If they're hurting, then within 24 hours, I can get to them and relieve their pain. And I, again, I have people from all over the world coming to me for that quick fix and to make sure. them feel better. And these people come back again and again because we all need tune-ups. Right, absolutely. And we all have, I mean, there's not just one issue that any person has. There are, are oh, so many. Oh, well, yeah, well, I have a gildogram for that, too. The issue is, the issue you think is never the issue that's the real issue. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> uh, you think so one, what are the most common questions it, 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 that... It, it's really the 80-20 rule. You know, you see only 20% of the iceberg, and what's really buried beneath is 80% of what's going on. And when I say to somebody, but the issue is never the real, the real issue. The issue you see is never the real issue. And they say, oh, no, oh, no, it's my boyfriend. He did such and such a thing. I said, oh, 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 what was your part in this? Because there's one person who keeps showing up for all these crummy relationships. Who mm -hmm. might that be? Right. <laughs> and we laugh. One and common we, denominator. And they recognize that. So, yeah, yeah it, it can be your boyfriend, but you are playing a part in every single relationship that you have. And my objective is to find with you your ownership so that then you can deconstruct the pain because you understand what really happened here. Sure. Now give me an example of a question or two that, you know, that's common among uh the the things that readers and people on your website send you. What are what are common issues that you see again and again and again? Well, one one issue that I always hear from women is why won't he commit? And I wrote I wrote a book called 10 Questions Single women should never ask, and the ten they should, and that's on my website. <laughs> and that, that's, it, it, you know, you shouldn't be asking that question. Not why won't he commit, but your question ought to be, how can I make myself so enticing that he can't help but commit? Sure. 
So again, I take the onus onto your shoulders and I show you how with your, with your taking responsibility, this is what you might have in the end, which is so much greater than you wishing and hoping and whining and all of that nonsense that is just such a waste of your precious, beautiful energy. So it's really empowering the person to take charge of her own life and uh, and demand what she wants and manifest it and make it happen. I think that's oh, great. It's all about empowerment. You know, a corporation called me in to do a speech on empowerment, one of my corporate clients. And they flew me up in their corporate jet, and I found this humongous ballroom of mostly men. And there had to be two or 300 guys sitting there. I wondered why the heck did they even ask me to come in. But mm-hmm. they sat me right uh, at, a ta- at the table with the president of this company, And I said, wow, this is interesting. And he proceeded to drink and tell off-color jokes. And the people who worked for him were all around, and they were laughing. (laughs) And he thought he was in such great admiration from from all these people. And then he said, you want to hear another? And I said, no. And everybody went silent at that table. Yeah. And I said, I don't feel comfortable listening to these off-color jokes. So he was very quiet. I went up, did my presentation on empowerment, and mm-hmm. the corporate jet flew me home. Well, within the next few days, I got a letter from him. And he said he learned more from me during that dinner than he had ever learned in his life. And he thanked me. Wow. Because I was empowered. I am empowered. And I am not fearful that when I express my empowerment that anything horrible is going to come crashing down on me. I know who I am. And believe me, Shannon, this year's to understand. I was ridiculed. The kids, the girls in school called me names. And, I mean, you know, I went through all of these things because I I did stand out. Mm -hmm. And the world is not a friendly place when you uh, salute and say anything you want. And women, for the most part, have learned to be much less dominant than they have the capacity to be. And as a result, I get these women coming to me years later that their kids hate them, their husbands have been cheating on them. I mean, they're they're just miserable in their marriages. Nothing is happening. They have given up their lives to support their families, to help support their families, that has not been looked upon as being anything good. And, and you know, they never positioned themselves as they might have. And, boy, sure. I tell you, I, I've run anger-busting workshops, and there's been a lot of anger 
that I've had to dissolve. And all my work is, is wonderful when I think about how impactful it is on families and the kids so that they don't have to repeat the uh, problems that their parents had, had gone oh, through. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, people carry bitterness and regret with them, and, and they wear it on their sleeve like a badge. And, oh, yeah. Um, and, they, and many times they expect other people to make them angry. So this supports their misery to begin with. Right. So what drew you to the field? What made you, as you were growing up and entering your, your post-secondary education, what made you decide to go into this field? I was always interested in psychology, but I'm not a psychologist. I'm an educator, and mm-hmm. that has served me very well. My PhD is in educational leadership, and boy, I never thought that when I got that at NYU that I would become such an educational leader. I mean, the world, I mean, we have plenty of people who are psychologists out there, and I didn't want to sit in a room and talk about what your mother did to you and why you're so angry at your mother still for years and years and years, you know, the the Woody Allen kind of uh, 30 years in therapy routine. I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to show people skills, and that's what an educator does. I wanted to Mm -hmm. teach people, train people in skills that they could use when I'm not around. And the epiphanies are so magnificent. So I've been – I was teaching – at a small college not too far from me in New York, and I was there for a lot of years. And, you know, I've been gone as a full-time professor. Now I'm a professor emerita. Uh, I've been gone as a full-time professor there for three years, and every semester they keep calling me back, please come in and teach an MBA course. Your communications class is still being talked about, everybody wants you to come back, and I said, no, 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 and then they sweetened the pot to the point that the this course is only a few miles from your house, and uh, you can teach it online as well as uh, in person, but I'm loving really it. Really, you in. I, <laughs> so anyway, so I did that, and we're we're finishing up this semester, and I'm loving it, and I'll tell you, it's mostly women, women graduate students. They are so bright, and they every day they thank me for not teaching from the book, from teaching real-life empowerment skills that they can use, and MBA students are there to get better jobs, that they can use in the next phase of their life. And I have women standing back, as I dismissed the class uh, the other night, I had one woman from Turkey, one woman from Haiti, and one woman from Nigeria. And they thanked me. They couldn't stop thanking me. So I'm real lucky. I mean, you know, I'm real lucky to be able to do this and feel so honored to, that somebody allows me to do this and to change, to enhance lives. 
that's wonderful to, to be able to make that kind of contribution in so many different ways, in, in so many different venues and, and topics. You've also served as an advisor to theater and television and movies, uh, yeah. like the uh, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover show on the investigation. Yeah, I was on air for that. Yeah, I was on investigation discovery, and um, there were this, this was a kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, not your usual investigation discovery show, and this was meant to be, you know, let's poke fun at some of the crazier things we do when we get angry, and uh, it, it was great. It got great ratings. We did wonderfully on that. Uh, so that was that was fun. So I was on air for that, and I wrote, you know, my script, and I delivered my script. It was great. It, there were three different vignettes of women who had had relationships that went south and how they handled them, usually angrily and hitting the guy and screaming at the guy and being locked up in jail for doing losing their temper and banging their cars into his car. And I really, really terrible things that could have ended up with some even worse things, but I was I delivered everything with kind of a tongue-in-cheek attitude, but quite serious as well. I mean, I I have a unique delivery, it seems. So that you works. do, and that's wonderful to be able to include humor with your you know the 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 punch that you pack into the advice that you give. I think that is a gift that is is unique to you. Well, now, so you, you've appeared in several reality-type shows. So in addition to the Emmy Award-winning Telling Nicholas, where you were helping the family talk to the seven-year-old about losing his mother in the World Trade Center, you worked on a project called The Working Girls? Oh, yeah, that was another one of these um, movies. Yeah, there was a woman who was earning extra money in her bedroom doing X-rated things. And I called her on the carpet for how she was going to present this to her son. She had a little kid in the other room and oh, while wow. she was doing this. I said, well, how is he going to describe his mom when he finds out the truth? Sure, and you were in another one called Games People Play, and you, you, you charged people, you called them out on emotional prostitution. So I am really curious as to what you meant by emotional prostitution. Oh, yeah. I call, yeah. Boy, you really did your homework. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. When people were doing things, these were actors, act, people who were desiring to be actors. And they were willing, men, young, young men and young women, and they were willing to strip naked, to, to simulate sex on camera, anything, because they thought that was the way to get, become famous. And man, I called them out on that too. I said, I don't think, I don't think what you're doing is, is serving you well. And we, I went down the list. Uh, Sally, you did this. Carl, you did that. Did, did, did. And, and that's where I use the phrase, that's emotional prostitution. You think that you are going to get famous from this? Who, who are you kidding? Right. And famous for what? You know, I say yeah. the same thing very often. 
to these, it's usually young girls who come to speak to me, uh, teenagers, who say that they're in a relationship uh, that is friends with benefits. And I say to them, what are the benefits for you, please? And they have nothing to respond to. They don't know what benefits they're getting, but they figure that if they perform oral sex on a boy, he'll stick around. And then, oh, my God, it's so horrible watching these young girls. They are so crushed. And they come to me saying, but he didn't, but he said, and yet he didn't. I said, ah, now we can start here with right. let's, let's build up who you are and what you're doing. Everybody Definitely. has a right. And I, I go through this, whether it's my graduate students, whether it's my corporate uh, motivational speeches, whatever it is, what, whatever I write. Everybody has a right and an obligation to themselves to ask, with them, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? I mean, every day, practically, or at least every week, I get another offer to be a spokesperson for this, a spokesperson for that. I mean, I have a lot of companies coming uh, in my direction and asking me uh, to work for them and on behalf of them. And I always say, and what will I get out of this? And there are certain uh, products that I would not take on because they, they, I, they're not in sync with my ethics. Uh, right. There are other products that I would take on that I don't like the way they're delivering the message. I mean, so I always, I'm always true to myself. And mm-hmm. again, this, I, I had to learn how to do all this. And I was, I, I was hurt. I, I had my head uh, handed to me many times because I wasn't true to myself. Well, that's how you learn. I mean, you, you learn to be true to yourself by not doing it and learning a lesson. Yeah. Well, so you have started a really exciting new venture um, called Country Cures. So one of your roles, in addition to the plethora of things that we've already talked about, is you're now the country music doctor. So tell me a little bit about oh. the organization. Yeah, this is my passion now. I, I'm, I'm still doing uh, corporate motivational speeches. I'm still doing my writing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still doing everything else that I'm doing. But a couple of years ago, I um, had the fortune or misfortune of falling in love with a guy who is a veteran, an army doctor. And he came back in such a horrible, emotional way that was so impossible to have a relationship. And I tried. I I tried to twist myself into a pretzel, making this thing work. And, of course, therein lies another lesson for all of us women um, you know, you, you can't be doing all the uh, emotional heavy lifting. You, you need right. a partner to be doing this as well. But from that, I learned a lot about how our veterans come home. And there's a song by Eric, Eric Scholl, 
whose lyrics say they never come back the same. Well, Shannon, I mean, you know, I could go to the library and go home again, and I then am a changed person too. I will not come home the same for having had that wonderful experience. But going to war is a lot more dramatic. And at that time that I was suffering through this relationship and trying to understand more and more of it, I was being sought after, because I'm writing all these columns, I was Mm -hmm. being sought after by so many veterans' wives, veterans themselves, the kids of veterans, who were coming to me and talking about the relationship in the house, the family relationship, what was not happening and how it could happen and what should they do and how should they do it. And I said, oh, my goodness, now I am suddenly one with the people who are asking for my guidance. I am one of them because I am going through the same thing. And I said, there must be there must be some reason that all of this is happening. And I yeah. did a lot of meditating, I did a lot of praying, and I recognized that I, this was my calling, that I am being called to work with veteran families because nobody is doing anything like this. And, I mean, the, the Veterans Administration, as we know, has had all kinds of of issues, they are so overloaded, even when they are successful, uh, they're not really able to handle as much as they need to handle. So what do they do? I mean, we there are nonprofit organizations around for warriors who are wounded, warriors who are homeless, warriors who are uh, uh, jobless. But there is no training, no educating families when somebody is at war yesterday and today he just comes home and can't deal. He can't deal with bright lights. He can't deal with noise. He can't deal with, oh, my God, how do I go to a supermarket now? Because he has been trained to follow orders and to go A, to B, to C, and there's no more freedom of thought and action. So the family, the family becomes impatient. The family doesn't know what to do. So I created Country Cures, which is a nonprofit 501c3 educational charity that deals with training on how to save their relationships. I'm the go-to relationship in the media. I might as well be the go-to relationship for the military now. And that's That's what together. And how we do this, well, there are four relationship skills that we train. And one is self-esteem, very, very, very important. You all start, everybody starts with learning how to develop a capital I. No little, uh, no little insignificant uh, lowercase I. Because we attract, here's another Gildegram, we attract not who we want, but who we are. 
So it all starts with us. So it's self-esteem, it's conflict management, it's interpersonal communications that are healthy, and it's diversity sensitivity. When, you're, when your dad comes home without a leg, how are you going to be sensitive to his needs? And when your husband comes home and he may be injured, how are you going to be sensitive enough so that you don't end up making him feel as though you are uh, castrating him and humiliating him? It's a different language. It's a different way of being. I mean, this is huge. And how we get our points across, in addition to all the educational curriculum that we've been developing, we get our, uh, our points across through country music. Because country music offers things that other music, music genres do not offer. Dreams? What is it? Well, first of all, no, I should say, first of all, it's the stories that everybody can identify with. The stories in country music, they all tell stories. Second of all, it's the stringed instruments that match the energy of the heart, the pericardium, the intestines, uh, the thyroid, the adrenals. And mm -hmm. so that helps things too. And third, there were, there were a lot of studies, but one study in particular found that the people who listen to country music are more evolved in the areas of truth, trust, and love. So with those three concomitants, I decided to use country music as our base. And Shannon, I can't tell you all the things that are happening. I mean, people are just coming out of the woodwork to help That's us. That's not fantastic that there are so many people that need this, but it's, it's fantastic that you have that resource to now offer them. You talked about the body responding. You've got a, a very unique um, educational technique. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Well, if you go to countrycures.org, you will see that we have audios and videos using the lyrics of some tunes that are able to get our, our, our points across. One, for example, the anti-bullying that exists today. I mean, there are a lot of programs out there. Somebody did a study uh, out of the University of Texas in Arlington, and he evaluated 7,000 children in 50 states, 165 schools. And he found that these anti-bullying programs, that they, people have spent millions and millions of dollars on, mm -hmm. were not only not working, but they were also making kids worse. Because these school districts, not knowing what they were right. doing, would, would create laser light shows, show them movies of bullying, and the kids found new ways to bully. If you will check out on uh, countrycure.org one of our videos about this overweight boy named Tony who was in school and being bullied, and a teacher found Leanne Rhymes' song, Give. If you want something, 
give. And I mean, that's the basis of the song. And the teacher said to Tony, this overweight boy, okay, what could you possibly give to this bully? Now, that's unheard of. Usually, the anti-bullying programs teach children, go to your... Go to your mom. Go to your um, go to your teacher. Go to the school administrator. But never, never try to deal with this on your own. Just like in corporate America, everybody has been taught to go to human resources and complain, rather than try to deal with an issue first on your own. This will develop your emotional muscle. This will develop now. Everybody is put in place to help you if you do uh, falter. But right. first, let's try to, st- to do this on your own. So here is this in the video. Here is this boy who says to his bully, you know that uh, as the bully starts to uh, verbally attack him again, he says, you know that math problem you couldn't do in class? Well, I I can help you with that. And suddenly the bully was so shocked he walked away. Now, what did that do for Tony? He felt real good. He felt that he suddenly solved his own issue. Right. Well, that goes back to two things you said earlier, which is it's about empowerment and it's about love. You got it. You got it. Brought situation, yeah. It's all about empowerment. It's all about love. And people, when women come to me and they say, well, you know, how can I, how can I get this guy to want me? How can I get this guy to commit to me? I first evaluate them. And fortunately, this is what I learned on television, that I can do this real quick. And when we're yeah. on Skype, I can do this real quick. And I see if they're a lowercase i. I see if they're an uppercase i. I perceive that. I listen to their words. I listen to their inflection. And I'm able to figure that out. And we start with that to the point that so many women have turned around after they've worked with me and said, what did I even see in that guy? What a wimp. (laughs) Because they became empowered. And that Gilgagram, you will never be loved if you can't risk being disliked. Take a page from my book. I just risked it all because I really do, I I always do believe I'm doing God's work. And for some reason, I've gotten a lot of support from God and the universe. Well, I mean, when you're, what you're supposed to do, things kind of fall into place, you know, like the reason that you've made this country cures kind of for lack of a better word, crusade, is because you found yourself in a situation and you really emotionally identified with it. Absolutely. So, and I'm not too bold and, 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 and too proud to admit that that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I understand that very, very well. And I'm happy to share about that. So do you I, individually connect people with songs? Um, that have lyrics that apply to them, or is it in kind of a, a group setting? What, tell me what the it's work both. with them. It's okay. both. It's in group. It's it's privately. I you know there's always a song for for something. Now I 
I am uh, now working with female homeless veterans, which mm-hmm. is a whole different topic. Fascinating to me. And many of them have children. Many of them have families. And sometimes the children and the families are all living in the Veterans Administration, uh, you know, in, 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 these, in, in these housing projects. And these women somehow lost their way. And Reba McIntyre has a new song that she just, just came out on her new album, I just put it into my pl- my playlist that I'm I'm developing this song for these women, and it's called "Living Ain't Killed Me Yet." <laughs> so you got it. You, you have to. Country music is so humorous. Right. I mean, you know, and and what I do with these women is show them their strengths that they've forgotten about. And we always start out with the positive. Look at your strengths. Look look where you have been and look where you are now. Now we can take that and help you get to where you want to be in the future. Yeah, the psychological injuries can really surpass the physical ones, and a lot of people don't realize that. And, you know, if you can't see it, you don't know it's there. And there was a quote... Uh, I saw somewhere a quote from you that read, uh, war never leaves any warriors unwounded. And that's, you know, so true, whether it's physical or emotional. And and finding yourself lost, whether you're a a man or a woman, is really, I I mean, to have somewhere to turn and and to not have your family understand. So how do you families? What do you talk to the families about? Well, you know, in, in, in some cases it's been years and a wife or even husband, because now we have uh, more and more women going into the military, he or she no longer wants to hear about PTSD. They're sick of it. They're sick of not... A vet, one veteran said to me when he finally got home, after he'd been in and out of the hospital for all kinds of emotional injuries, he felt... He found his wife had left him. Wow. So if he was bad to begin with, he was worse. That'll send you over the edge, sure. Now, one, there was a a nurse that I had interviewed who told me about her son. And her son came back from war, and he was in terrible shape. And he he was limping. He was, and it took him a long time to recover. And finally, he found a woman that he fell in love with, and she was in love with him, and she had a couple of kids. He bought a house for them. He bought her a car. He, bought, he, he, he made beautiful rooms, bedrooms for her two kids. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she said, you know, I can't see myself married to somebody in a wheelchair. He wasn't even in a wheelchair. And she left. Wow. And at this point, he was so depressed. He went to the VA. He was, you know, doing his checkups. And um, he went home to an empty house and killed himself. 
And his mother was telling this to me, and I said, and that's exactly what Country Cures aims to provide us a place where the veterans can talk about their relationships. Now, I know from doing that movie, Telling Nicholas, mm-hmm. I, I, back then, the uh, first responders would not go for therapy. And what yeah. I provide, what Country Cures provides, is training, educational training. And training is something that all veterans can understand and accept. Yes. So how do, you, how do you reach the people, and how do you let them know that Country Cures is available? Because these people are out there suffering, and so how do they find you, or how do you find them? Well, I have not been out there in the media yet. I want to raise some money before I do take my message to the media. You know, this is an example of the media that I'm doing because I've known you for years and years. years. Right. I'm not taking it to uh, a lot of media opportunities because I want this system to be in place with some uh, contributions so that we know we can handle the numbers that have already started coming into us. Sure. So uh, we're not advertising this, but we are in a way. And they're going to the website, and every day I find more and more veterans administrations from around the country coming to countrycures.org. So you go figure that. I don't know. I am out there in a big way, and people know that I have Country Cures. But I haven't done this in, in a major, major way. Yeah, this is new. This is definitely a new venture. It's, it's exciting to, to branch out. I mean, you're, you're, you're such an expert in your field, and to, uh, at this point in your career, find something new that you, you know, that you have to offer and to do it in a different way, that's, that's good for you, just as it's good for the people that you're helping. Shannon, I didn't do this. I mean, this was just kind of handed to me from, from God. I, I mean, I'm not responsible for any of this. Well, you know, if I had awakened one morning and said, hmm, what, what, what kind of a venture am I going to take on next? I would never have come up with this. You know, at right. first I figured I love country music so much. I love it because it does, it, you know, our, our, our words on the website say from guitar strings to heart strings. And yeah. I created that logo because that's the way, that's the way it works. Guitar right. strings to heart strings. Well, and that's, I mean, it is funny that you say that you would never have come up with that because when, uh, when I, when you first told me that you were doing it, I thought, okay, so here she is. She's a straight talking, no nonsense educator from New York. And here she is championing country music. Take that stereotypes. Like, I love oh. it. You know, I mean, it's just not something that, that you would immediately equate with, you know, the, the brand of Dr. Gilda. And, and I think that that's awesome. Crazy. Oh, I, I know. I was, I, I, I was down uh, for one of the award uh, ceremonies, the award shows for country music television, and I came home with a T-shirt that said CMT and a picture of a horse and a saddle. And so somebody in New York said, what's CMT? I said, country music television. And she said, but you're from New York. I said, <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's so 
so true. You never think of anybody from the North or even the Mid-Atlantic as being a fan of country music. But, I mean, you know, you can't, you can no longer stereotype the typical listener of country music. Well, so much for diversity sensitivity. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Well, since we're on the Authors on the Air Network, I want to talk a little bit about about the books that you've written. Oh, my goodness. Um, So talk, talk to me, talk to me about your book. Oh, which one? Don't Bet on the Prince is is considered the Bible by a lot of women. It's online. You can get it on on on, on Amazon. You can get it uh, through my website, drgilda.com. I mean that that has that was that was the start of my writing books. It's the subtitle is How to Have the Man You Want by Betting on Yourself, and I use it. In my college classes and in my graduate courses as a textbook, and even men read it because it's how to have the career you want by betting on yourself, how to have the job you want by betting on yourself. You see, it all revolves around your empowerment. So that's what started the ball rolling for lots and lots of the books that uh that I've written. I've written uh, a book for called Teen Talk with Dr. Gilda and that book is just like Don't Bet on the Prince only for teenage girls who need to hear this message. And there are no spokespeople for teenage girls out there at this time. And you know, I kind of took on that role because they have got to understand what it is to become empowered. And there are lots of other books that I've written. I mean, they're all on my website at drgilda.com. As a speaker, you were honored as the best speaker in America by Successful Meetings magazines. And so yeah, that was, that, was, that was pretty neat. But I do love my speaking engagements. I love, love them because I can, I can see the epiphanies on people's faces. I can say to an audience, all right, you're, you're a bunch of salespeople. Now, you're going to see a client, a, a, a potential client, and you're walking in there with a lowercase i. Now, let me see what that looks like if you're walking into your potential client with a capital I. And there's a levitation in the audience, and sometimes it's hundreds of people in front of me. And I go, wow, thank you, God, I'm able to make a difference. Uh, There was one group, a group of uh, powerful women in New York, and I was teaching them, and you learn this in Don't Bet on the Prince, uh, the power stare. And they said, how do you do that? And I show them in the book how to look at somebody with a power stare so you don't ever have to curse anybody out. And by the time we were finished, it was a breakfast meeting with standing room only uh, accommodations. And I said, you guys are going to go walk out on the streets of New York now? Oh, my goodness. Watch out, New York. And they all laughed. But I had a long line of women before they left that breakfast that said, can you watch me do the power stare? Can you make sure that I'm doing this correctly? So I don't know what happened after that, but boy, those women were, they, they, they knew what to do next. 
That is great. That is great. Well, I do have fun. So, yeah, it is. And, I mean, just from, you know, from teaching in inner cities to talk shows to books to columns to country music doctor, my, my listeners really love to know kind of the trajectory of how people got to where they are. So let's just take a second and just kind of go from beginning to end. And so at what point did the talk shows come in? At what point did the columns come in? And how did it all culminate to where you are now? You know, that's hard to say because I was teaching in the South Bronx, and then I was offered a job at this little college. So I left the teaching in the South Bronx, but... At the same time that I was teaching in the South Bronx, on, on, on days off, I was running seminars in corporate America. So uh, then somebody in one of my circles, one of the women's circles that I belong to, said, you know, they're starting a brand new channel. It's called CNBC. Would you be able to talk about uh, salesmanship? I said, oh, sure, of course. This was a brand new channel. I had not been on television before, but I had been a dancer my whole life when I was a, when I was a kid on television. So I had the presence, the stage presence. Sure. But yeah. still, I had never been on live television uh, like that. And I spoke about what I had to speak about. And in the green room was one of was it was the editor of Success Magazine, not Successful Ma uh, Meetings Magazine, but the one that had called me Best Speaker in America. This was mm -hmm. Success Magazine, and I had been reading his magazine from cover to cover because I studied all this stuff as a, as a Ph.D. student. So he was in the green room, and I suggested we have lunch, and we did, and I sent him a copy of a videotape I had done. I had never written a book, but I sent him a copy of a videotape I had recorded called How to Manage Anger and Take Control, and he put it in his magazine. It was the best-selling product that they ever had, and well, so fantastic. that launched a whole product development thing. Yeah. And you see, everything kind of, like, happened, and mm -hmm. and then... Uh, after that, I figured, oh, I could do television. That's easy. And yeah. I went to uh, Geraldo's show. Remember when he had a show on the air? And he was my yeah. first talk show host that hired me to go on. And um, he kept holding up that that videotape. about. Mm -hmm. He said, if you're angry, you call this number. And that was my home number. I didn't oh, no. know what I was doing. And all these angry people all over the United States calling you at home. And called my number, cursing me out because I wasn't there. Oh my god. <laughs> I had to learn so much. But one the first year I was on his show and other shows, I did six shows that year. By the next year I did over a hundred shows. I was everybody's go-to relationship expert. How this you happened? You really blew up. I mean, I, I remember seeing you absolutely everywhere. I mean, you were on every show. You were the relationship, the emotional expert for, for everybody. So I would go home and watch myself on three different channels, one after the other, on three different shows. And then Fox came to me, and they did a pilot for the Dr. Gilda show. Because they thought 
I was told when I was when I was on Sally, they called me into um, uh, the the guy's uh, office, and the guy said, "All I know is that when they watch you, they don't change the dial. We're giving you a show of your own." But then NBC became Networks USA, and he left and he went somewhere else, and so that didn't work. And then Fox right. came to me, and they did a pilot for my show, my own, the Dr. Gilda show, and then the guy overseeing that suddenly died. And oh, no! Yeah. So this was not obviously meant to be. I do think because I did write a show, a country music show, uh, using my techniques that are now part of Country Cures, I do think mm-hmm. that that's where I will be on air, doing this kind of work with the country music. Right. Really where I belong. And it's like, you know, finding the guy of your dreams. You suddenly realize why all the other ones didn't work out. There absolutely is a reason for doors closing because it just it leaves room for others to open. Well, so as a closing spot, I'll just ask you a fun question. <laughs> um, what was your favorite talk show moment? Of all of the talk shows you were on with all of the guests and all of the hosts, is there anything that stands out to you the most? One time I was on Sally's show, and they surprised me. A girl came up and handed me a bouquet of flowers and said, all I know is that you changed my life. And I think I started to cry. I, it was Aww. so shocked. I thought I was going to be on the, on the air to help people that day, and it was a thank you to me. Wow. Yeah, that was pretty astounding. I mean, that never happened to any other talk show therapist on air, ever. I was just blown away. Well, and there are millions of people out there who have you to thank for so many things, I mean, that you've reached through radio and television and the Internet and your columns and your speeches and your new venture, you really just have have changed a lot of lives. And so on behalf of all of those people, I will give you a big thank you. And I also want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Shannon, you are a gem. And what you do for man, excuse me, womankind, (laughs) should should be noted because you are out there, you're, you're, you're making waves where waves need to be made. So God bless you, too. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And and I want to thank all of the listeners who are out there tonight who are listening and everyone who's listening to the podcast. Hopefully Dr. Gilda is, is going to get her message to everybody that needs it. And it was great to talk to you. Good night, Gilda. Good night, Shannon. God bless you.